On Friday, we discussed the details of the crucifixion of our Lord and truly remarked about how horrific those events are. Uh, We talked about our 21st century sensibilities as Americans can't fully grasp what Christ endured on that cross as he absorbed the wrath of God and took on the penalty of our sin. John Piper remarked one time that had we been at the cross with these modern sensibilities, we would have vomited, screamed, sobbed uncontrollably, pounded the ground with our fists because of its horrors. To see nails and spikes driven through arms and legs and thorns ripping flesh, spear entering a side that is incomprehensible to us. And Jesus was willing to do it. John 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come. That's what Jesus said, that you may have abundant life. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd knows his sheep, and he lays down his life for his sheep. He came to earth to purchase a bride for himself by his blood. And he tells us this, that no one takes his life from him, that he has the power to lay it down and he has the power to raise it up again. And this is the command that his father has given him. Rome and Israel have no power over Jesus. It was agreed upon before the foundation of the world between the father and the son that the son would lay down his life. And so our church joins the community of saints known as the true church who preaches Christ crucified every single week. This is the core of our doctrine, of our belief, of our shared communal value at its very core. And despite its horrors, it's marvelous because the wrath of God toward our sin has been satisfied as it was poured out on the Holy One. As horrific as the crucifixion was, is as glorious as the resurrection is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the doctrine in which all of Christianity, all the claims of Christ, all the covenants of God rise or fall. The Bible itself makes the claim that without the resurrection, all of the teaching of Jesus is vanity. 1 Corinthians 15 says, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and church, you are still in your sins. If Christ is not our hope, then we of all people are most to be pitied. What Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, in our passage today, from the beginning of Luke, and specifically the public introduction of Christ and his ministry, everything throughout the narrative has been moving towards Luke chapter 24 and the resurrection of our Lord. Now, if you recall at the beginning of Luke's letter, 
he wrote to Theophilus, and he explained how his diligent study of the life of Jesus was his great work. He wanted us to know that he was prudent in looking into these matters, which means they are reliable for us to consider today. And as the good doctor wrote down, the prudent doctor, I pray that we would heed the words of him today. The main point of our passage is very simple. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And I want to ask you a question attached to that main point. Do you trust this announcement? In the very deep places of your heart, have you trusted the announcement that was brought forward that we're going to look at today? There are four elements from this text regarding the resurrection that I want us to look into. They are meant to give us great hope, to, to provoke a celebration within us today, as well as to give us some instruction. Uh, the first element that we're going to look at is found in verses 1 through the first part of 4, and that is the perplexity of the resurrection. But on the first day, verse 1 of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus and they were perplexed about this. This is where we get our first point, the perplexity of the resurrection. First off, it was early dawn. And these women went to the tomb on the Lord's day. They rose first thing in the morning after Sabbath, Saturday, or what we know as Silent Saturday, as Jesus' body lay in the tomb. They brought with them spices and fragrances as they prepared them the day that Jesus died. We see this in Luke 23, 56, knowing that they were going to tend to the mangled body of the Lord the first chance they had. Uh, they brought these spices as a means to care for the body. This was a first century Jewish tradition. It was to show honor and dignity for those who had died and to limit the uh, decay and the smell that would come from the, from the body. And they would do this in a way that would be honoring to the person who had passed. It's an action completely opposite of the inhumane treatment that Jesus received in his body on Friday. Now consider that these women had some expectations as they went to the tomb that day. They knew that Christ was dead. Uh, they, they, they saw him die. They saw him scourged. They saw him torn apart. They saw him laboring to breathe. They saw his final words. They saw the spear run through his side with blood and water pouring out as he dripped everything out from inside of him. And they knew this when they were approaching the tomb. They even followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb, as is recorded in Matthew chapter 27. And they knew a large stone laid there. In fact, Mark chapter 16 tells us they didn't know how they were going to move the stone out of the way so that they could tend to the Lord's body. 
But what I want us to consider is this. It did not stop them. Uh, These women were faithful, undivided in their spirit, devoted wholly to their God, trusting that God would take care of it. Now, who are these women? Well, we see that in verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. Mary Magdalene had been delivered from seven demons, as is recorded in Luke 8, and was a follower of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Joanna was the wife of Chusa, who was the household manager of King Herod himself. Yet she was a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus and a witness of the crucifixion and his burial. We also see mentioned here Mary, the mother of James, a witness of Jesus' crucifixion, and the mother, as recorded in Mark 15, of James the Younger. And other gospels record women also being around the scene, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, wife of Clopas, who would have been Mary's sister, and Salome, who was the faithful mother of James and John. These are the women who came to the tomb that day. Now, beloved, I want us to recognize that their devotion is significant. They prepared the spice the day he died. They obeyed the law by upholding the Sabbath the day before. And they made their way to Christ's body first thing in the morning, the very first opportunity they had. I don't want to move forward until I ask you this question. Do you run to the Lord first thing in the morning? Do you run seeking to be with Christ like these faithful women did? This is a beautiful picture of the faithfulness and biblical womanhood of devoted Christian women. In the society that we live in today that demands to be served, that that seeks more and wants their fill on everything, these women are devoted to Christ even after his death serving his body with fragrant offerings. May our hearts run to the Lord each early morning as these women. Now, they were truly perplexed. Verse 2 tells us that they found the stone rolled away. This is a sign of the miracle to come. Verse 3, that the Lord's body was not there. Uh, We know that linen cloths were there, as we'll get into uh, verse 12. And we see that there is no body. This is perplexing. Can you imagine their grief? They don't see the Lord, and they're wondering where he is. The very natural question that raises up is, who has taken the Lord's body? Who has taken it? Surely not religious leaders, as they would never want Christ credited with a miracle or resurrection. Certainly not Rome, who destroyed the body of Christ in order to keep civil peace. Certainly not the disciples, because they all fled away the scene of the crucifixion. An answer, though, comes to us in verse 4 through 7. And this is our second point. This is the pronouncement of the resurrection. Look with me in verse 4. While they were perplexed about this... Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and raised on the third day? These two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. And in verse 23 of the same chapter, we learn that these are angels. And angels had the appearance of men, as we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 10. And it's common in the scriptures to see angels delivering these messages. And in fact, Luke recounts this quite often. He says that angels deliver the news to the shepherds. Uh, delivers the news to Mary that she's going to bear a son despite being a virgin. And here, angels deliver the news to, to women about the resurrection of Christ. And these women were terrified. And they fell to their faces. Can you imagine seeing an angel and falling before it? And if they are willing to fall before an angel out of terror, can you imagine what it must be like to stand before a living God who, whom the angels uh, can't even be around all the time because of his glory? What a privilege these angels were given to make this pronouncement, this, this formal declaration. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Jesus was not in the graveyard. He was not there. He had risen to life. And, and beloved, this is not just common news to an angel either who's delivering it. For we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that it was revealed to the prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you, church, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. They themselves are marveling these things at the tomb themselves. Now, the Christian faith is built on what these angels say. That which God has done, the women had not trusted in what Jesus had already told them. Look with me in verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Uh, Jesus had already shared the entire gospel with his followers. It's recorded nine times in the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Luke chapter 9, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised again. He says the same thing in Luke chapter 9 when he says that he was going to suffer and be raised from the dead. And the disciples were terrified to even ask what that meant. Luke 18, he says they're moving towards Jerusalem in the Passover. And there the Son of Man would suffer many things. Yet on the third day be raised. 
John also says this subtly too in John chapter 2. The Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show uh, uh, us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And the Jews said to him, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken to them. In short, these women had forgotten the gospel that they had already received. Based on what Jesus had already told them, if they were listening, they would have been sitting courtside at the tomb when Jesus got up. But, but, they, but they didn't listen. Have you ever forgotten the gospel? Have you forgotten the gospel of late? These women are no different than us. We forget the gospel all the time, totally caught up in our own circumstances and forgetting what Christ has said in his word. Recollection of the gospel, reminder of the gospel is more important than new information. This is why we preach Christ crucified and raised every Sunday. We have to be reminded of this. If you have forgotten the gospel today, I do want to remind you what scripture reminds us right here. The angels remind them in verse 7. Look with me, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. The angels preached the gospel in basic form to these ladies as they had forgotten it. We need the same reminder today, and so just for a few moments, let's just be reminded of what the gospel of Christ is. He was delivered over to sinful man. A, a, a man did to Christ at the crucifixion what man has always wanted to do with the righteous one. We, we see this at the very beginning of the scriptures when Cain kills Abel. He wants him eliminated. Yet Christ's righteous blood or Abel's righteous blood cries out from the ground to be vindicated. This is the way it's always been. The desire for the righteous one to be destroyed, that's been the plan all along from Satan and his, his minions. But at the cross of Christ, Colossians 2.15 tells us that Christ defeated Satan and he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them despite them thinking they were making a public spectacle of Christ, triumphing over them at the cross. And while on the cross, God placed our sins on the body of our Lord Jesus. And he bore the punishment that was meant for us, as Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53. In his death, Jesus took upon him the curse of Adam. And everyone in this room and everyone throughout history is born of Adam, as Romans 5 tells us this is what Christ did on the cross 
And without the sacrificial death of Christ, we would still be in our sins. We would be unsaved. We would be unredeemed. We would be unforgiven. The penalty would still be upon us. The cross of Christ is absolutely necessary for our salvation. And it was the main teaching of the apostles. Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. That's all I preach. It is the most important thing. Our greatest needs as a, as a human being is to be in fellowship with God, despite not wanting to be in fellowship with God. But sin broke fellowship with God. And there is nothing we can do to restore the fellowship that has been broken because of sin. Nothing. Nothing that we can do in our righteousness, in our efforts, in our cleaning ourselves up. We cannot do it. So what does God do? He provides a spotless lamb. One without blemish. One with no sin. And on that cross, the spotless lamb had our sins placed upon him. Like a serpent lifted up in the wilderness. And all who look upon the serpent lifted up in the wilderness get the righteousness of the lamb given to them. This is the beauty of the cross. And he alone is able to make this sacrifice, as the book of Hebrews tells us, according to the law, according to the forgiveness of sins, because he is perfect. He dismantled and destroyed the works of the devil, 1 John 3. He condemned Satan, John chapter 16. And this sacrifice on the cross had to be the son of God and the son of man, fully God and fully man. Hebrews 2.17 gives the reason why he had to be both son of God, son of man. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Well, the son of God took on human form, provided redemption to those who are under the law. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The church father, Irenaeus, captured this parallel between Adam and Christ beautifully in this, in this little poem. Just as sin came into the world through sin occasioned by a tree, referencing the fruit, so Jesus overcomes sin by his obedience on a tree. It's amazing the beautiful theology that's interwoven throughout all of Scripture. As death comes through Adam, so life comes through Christ. The angels also say that he was raised on the third day. And the, and the Old Testament actually prepares us for this. If you recall back in Genesis chapter 1, on the third day is when everything sprung out of the ground and new life was given all over the face of the earth. 
If you remember in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac, uh, he's been, Abraham has been given the assignment to sacrifice Isaac on the third day. And as he goes to the holy hill to do such a thing, God provides a lamb on the third day. And what does the book of Hebrews tell us in chapter 11? That Abraham believed God and thought that even if he sacrificed his son, that God had the power to raise him from the dead. We see in Hosea chapter 1 that God raises Israel on the third day out of Babylonian captivity to create for himself yet again a new people. No one takes Christ's life from him. He has the power to lay it down, and he has the power to raise it up again. And this is why Hebrews 12 actually can make sense to us when it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him on Friday morning, when he's looking at all the suffering and the agony that is before him, he knows that he is going to raise from the dead. What hope. What hope. Beloved, we must trust in application what God says about what he has done. That he has delivered over to men, that Christ was delivered over to men, that he was crucified and on the third day rose from the grave. This is where the Christian faith rests. Not our feelings or our experiences or our circumstances or our logic but on what God has said that he has done. It's double stamped. It's covenant blood. It's the truth. Again, I ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ was raised from the dead? So the cross is necessary. This is where our sin was punished. The debt was paid, and we are forgiven. Romans 5, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, but the resurrection is also necessary for, us, for a dead Savior cannot save us. Romans 4, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we are justified, made right before God because of the resurrection of our Lord. And this sacrifice was accepted by the Father, as we read in Romans 1, 4. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown to be the Son of God. When? Powerfully raised from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. And I want to explore just for a moment the greater power of the resurrection. And that's our third point. And we're just going to look in verse 6 with me very quickly. That little phrase, and I hope it's highlighted in your Bible if it's not engraved into your heart yet. He is not here, but he has risen. That word risen is such a powerful word. He, he is awake from his sleep. This means he has power over death. It means that he conquered death. Isaiah 25 says that he will swallow up death in victory. Resurrection is how he does it. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he will put his enemies under his feet. Resurrection is how he does it. Jesus himself says in Revelation chapter 1, I hold the keys to death and Hades. 
Resurrection is how he holds those keys. Beloved, death gets us all. And if you didn't know that, surely the book of Ecclesiastes has taught us that as we are moving through it. All people before us and after us will be sucked into the vortex of death. It is guaranteed. No one can escape it. And the Bible even says if we're not thinking about death, then we are fools. But Christ raised to new life. And what does his raising mean for us? Why is it important that on the third day he rose from the dead? Listen to Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have new life, resurrected life. 1 Corinthians 15 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And listen to what it says. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first one never to die again. So all saints die one death, but they are kept from the second death that Revelation talks about. 1 Corinthians 15, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. That means enduring forever. And we shall be changed. New bodies, indestructible bodies because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus tries to teach us this in John chapter 12. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Because he died and was raised, it bears much fruit. That's what he secured for us, beloved. The church, new life. This is the good news of the resurrection. And it's not just that he's alive. It's not just that he's alive, but that he rose from the dead. Uh, The message from the angels to these women was not, hey, Jesus is alive and he's at the right hand of the Father. No, he's, he's risen from the dead. He conquered it. So what did resurrection secure for us? Imperishable bodies. New and living hope for those of us by faith who are in Christ Jesus, raised in glory, despite being sown in weakness, like Paul talks about, we're raised in power. One pastor said, therefore, death is not a prison. Listen to this. But a passage that leads to eternal life in God. Finally, after the angels reminded these women of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, look how the women respond. This is our fourth point, the proclamation of the resurrection. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. Speaking of Christ, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, talking about the 11 disciples, and to all the rest. And that was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women uh, with them who told these things to the apostles. They remembered what Christ said at this point. That's like a, 
oh man, <laughs> maybe like an oh woman uh, moment, right? These angels gave these women true treasure, something so valuable, the, the greatest, most priceless treasure, the announcement of the Son of God raised. And they remembered his words, and they fled back to the others to tell them of the good news. Immediately upon remembering, they wanted to tell Jesus' 11, the ones that Christ had selected for himself, to tell all the rest of them. We don't know who the rest of them are. We know that 120 people were with Christ at the ascension. All those who were following, they wanted to bring the good news to them. As Romans tells us, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. These women were the first to hear of the resurrected Lord. And these faithful women were the first to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And we're still proclaiming it. 2,000 years later, we're still proclaiming that Christ was delivered over to sinful men, was crucified, and was raised on the third day. But listen to how these faithful disciples, these heroes of the faith, respond to these women. Verse 11, but these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The apostles did not believe these women. They thought that there was more logic in not trusting these faithful women that they knew than that the mangled Lord that they saw crucified on Friday would ever be able to raise from the dead. And so they just thought that's a tale. That is out there. That was their response. It's actually one of the great apologetics uh, of the resurrection of Christ is that the women who are not considered in the same level of men in first century Palestine, now we know that that's different based on the theology we hold. Man and woman are both made in the image of God in equity. But that's not how the culture ran there. And so the fact that this resurrection starts with women proclaiming this, it's a great apologetic against any naysayers of the resurrection of Christ? A question for some of you today. I, do you feel like the resurrection is an idle tale? No, no different than the story of Zeus. No different than all the world religions out there. It's logical to these men that it was a, a farce. So it's probably natural for many of us to think that there's no way that this could happen, given that they, we weren't there for that. But this is where the beautiful Christian gospel is incredible. God dying and raising to show love rather than requiring love like all the other world religions require separates Christianity from everything else under the sun. Everything else under the sun. If you do believe in the resurrection, do you faithfully share it with others? Do you run like these women did to share it with all those they loved? 
For them, the spices they had prepared, all the things that they were thinking, all the terror in their heart from seeing angels did not compare from getting back to the people that they loved so that they could announce to their beloved ones, Christ is risen. Do you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a good question to ask us as Christians. We can claim it all day long, but do we proclaim it? I love verse 12 in closing. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in and looking, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. What an incredible thought. What an incredible thought. He's marveling at the absence of the body. We don't know exactly what he's marveling at, if he's believing the women now or if he's just more perplexed than he's ever been. But he is marveling, and that's where this little passage ends. But I'm going to read to you at the latter half of Luke chapter 24, when Jesus himself appears to the disciples, would you listen with your heart to this? As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. The things they were talking about is where is the body of the Lord, okay? Jesus stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do uh, doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That it is I myself, touch me and see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved uh, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? (laughs) I'm busy. Saving everything, I'm hungry. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Anybody bringing in just a broiled fish to the Lord this morning? (laughs) And look what Jesus did. And he took it and he ate it. Raised in his body from the dead. Conquering sin and death. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, this is unbelievable. These, I'm, I'm just going to start verse 44 all over again. Then he said to them, please listen, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, he says, in the law of Moses And the prophets and the Psalms, everything in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. And then look at the work that Jesus continues to do in verse 45. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are my witnesses. And we are still proclaiming as his witnesses that Christ raised from the dead. And beloved, he's still opening minds in the scripture to believe on these things and be saved, as was testified today by our brother. 
John chapter 20, verse 29, it's written to us. Here we are right here. For those who weren't at the resurrection, Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? He's talking about the disciples who are doubting him. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. One question I leave you with today. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Eternal life given to you today for those who believe. His confession, he's, he's not talking about just a, yeah, I confessed that once. He's talking about a life devoted to calling on the name of the Lord to save you from temptation and trials. Like the psalmist does all the time, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. If you confess with your mouth and you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not trusting in your own name, and you believe the deep trust in your heart that everything that God says is true. That he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For those who believe this, and I know there are many of you in this room. I want you to hold the Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give, you, uh, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. <laughs> the, the same spirit that raised Christ to life is ours. We don't need sin anymore. We don't need to try to quench our appetite for lust by giving into it. He saves us both from the penalty of sin but also from its power. For those who have been raised in Christ, in your mortal bodies, delivered from the guilt, but also delivered from sin's power. For those of you today who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, I have good news for you. Same news that the angels proclaimed that Sunday, the Lord still raises. He still gives sight to the blind. He still allows the lame to walk and he raises dead people to life. Just don't trust in yourself. Begin to trust in him. And there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to, to disciple you in. There's a lot to, to trust in and new categories to walk through. If that's you today, I make an appeal to you on, on behalf of the king of glory. Believe and be saved. Saving faith calls upon the name of the Lord, who is Jesus. 
Saving faith trusts that Christ died for your sins. And you recognize that you need to have your penalty of your sins paid for. Because if they're not paid for by Christ, the penalty of your sin still remains on you. And you will see the Lord one day, I promise you. Saving faith believes that Christ was actually raised from the dead. We mourned on Friday, and we celebrate today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that has been given to us, delivered to us from heaven through the power of the Spirit. Thank you for the gospel that has saved us. Thank you for the gospel that proclaims and still saves today. Christ is not in the tomb today. David's in the tomb. Christ is not in the tomb. He's at the right hand interceding for us even now. And we long for the day that he comes and he gathers his people to dwell with us forever. In Christ we pray. Amen.